Well, we're in a, in a series that we've been teaching on, uh, which is called The Just Shall Live by, by Faith. I want to tell you how we got there. Uh, we've been teaching faith for a, a long, long time. Uh, the Lord, in fact, the Lord called me into the ministry, and he had given me a word, and uh, that word was, I, I didn't even want to uh, pastor at that point in time. We had a teaching ministry. We traveled around New England, uh, Massachusetts, out in the West Coast, the East Coast, rather. And we, we did a lot of things, a lot of seminars that we ran and things like that. A very, very good time. Then came the time when uh, we realized that all of these things that we did were temporary. We had people walking into meetings that were, how would I say, healed a, a month ago. And then they'd walk into a meeting and you'd find out they got talked out of that healing in their church. So we say, well, what, you know, what's going on? Finally, the Lord says, begin the church. I said, I don't want a pastor. That's not my, that, I don't like that. I, that's not what I'm called to do. I, I teach your word. So he said, no. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you change my heart, because if he didn't change my heart and you came to me and you had a problem, you got three scriptures and you were sent away. That's it. Go work it out. There was, no, you know, I, I was not a, a merciful person, you put it that way. So in the end of it, we wound up uh, where we are today. But he told me that he called me to preach a message of faith because when we came into the end times, which we're in right now, I think most of you recognize that. Uh, in fact, they begin on the day of Pentecost and move forward. When we come into these times right now, we're going to have to stand by faith. We're going to have to live by faith. That's what we've been called to do. So that we will do. So I just want to say this. It's by faith through grace that we're saved. It's uh, not only the way we're saved, it's the way we're called to continue our life. We complicate it. We, we get there, the word of God, we hear the word, we have faith, we confess Jesus, we receive him as our Lord and Savior, and then we get into, and then we have Bible studies, and we quickly trade simple faith and walking with God for information. And then we know the Bible, and we know this and we know that, but we don't have the faith to walk in it. We don't see the work of God in our life. We're going to need faith in so many areas of life, all of our life requires faith in God. So, one of the important aspects of our salvation as we walk in faith is our spiritual formation. Now, what is spiritual formation? A lot of people use that term for a number of things, but spiritual formation, if I put it into a proper perspective, it would be for us to take on and grow in the divine character. In other words, we would just not gain knowledge, but we would grow into that impartation of the Spirit of Christ that's in us. We would grow to be more like him. Now, spiritual formation doesn't happen automatically. If you're a parent, you just don't have a baby, leave him in a crib, feed him maybe a bottle or so, and then hope someday they're going to get up and they're going to go out on their own and do, do their job. You know that having a child is a lot of work. 
You have to put in a lot of effort. You have to find their bent, how they, how they think, how they grow, and work with that bent. You have to take the things that are negative, and unfortunately, sometimes when we find these negative things, we find out that some of our own characteristics that we had to deal with in our own life. And we have to work it so that when, we leave, when they leave our home and start out on their own, whether they go to college or wherever they go, and start their own family, that they're walking with the Lord. And they, they have faith in God. They know how to live their life. Now, and if we've done it right, they'll never walk alone. Because one thing we do, as children, we'll leave our father's house. But as sons of God and daughters of God, the daughters of Abraham, we never leave our father's house. We're always in our heavenly father's house. And so he always is with us. So this whole idea of Christianity is not about doctrine and belief. It's about meeting with, growing, growing closer to the Lord, and walking with him in real life, in real time. So, again, our destiny then becomes to pick up our cross daily and follow him. Well, I want you to think about this for a moment. Pick up your cross daily. If anyone wants to come after me or follow me, let him pick up his cross daily and come follow me. The literal Greek is come journey with me. I want you to think about that for a moment. What he says is you're not on your own and you have to go out there. and He's saying you come pick up that cross. What's that cross for? Well, that's a whole other message, but... It's to get rid of all of that stuff in us that doesn't belong there. But the whole idea is we walk together as disciples, as God's people. And the second thing we do is we're walking with Jesus. And we're there to help one another. Nobody's called to walk alone. We need to walk together. It's that simple. That's the way God designed us. So I've enjoyed, I want to talk about life for a moment. I've enjoyed and 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 am enjoying a, a full and a happy life. When I turned 50, I considered my life. 50 was a big deal for me just a few years ago. And uh, I, I concluded that if I were to die, I would, have a, a, I would have had a good and full life and I would be with the Lord in heaven. I was ready. However, this is, this is the truth for my life. I really mean that. I look back, I had a wonderful family, still do, a wonderful wife and children. I have a wonderful wife now. Some were in college, some were preteens at that time. And my life had enough of a taste of heaven in it. This is crazy. That I didn't want it to end. How many of you come to like a sweet spot in life? And you come and you don't want to change that. You'd like to freeze it right where it is. Sometimes I like to freeze my kids right where they were, especially when they were, my boys were eight and nine. There was a nine, 10, 11 right in there. It was just a great time to freeze them, but they grew up. That's just good, which is good. So again, it was like really a taste of heaven. And in the midst of this wonderful life, there were some serious trials and tribulations. And some of them were very deep, some of them were very painful, 
Some of them took a while to get through. Now, one thing I, I know about a trial is this. When something goes wrong in your life, it finds you out. It's a way of finding yourself out. You now are facing a situation, and one thing about a trial is it's something you're not in control of. In other words, a car comes and hits you from the side, you weren't, you, you know, runs, runs through an intersection, and then what happens? It, there's nothing you can do about it. And you're hurt and you're injured, and you've got to work through that. And you can have bitterness, or you can have hope, and you can look for healing. It's, it's up to you at that point in time. But now we find where we are with, with God. And James puts it this way Dear brothers and sisters, I'm reading from the NLT. The usual Bible that I use is uh, King, New King James or the New American Standard Bible. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wow. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, You'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He'll not rebuke you for asking. You know, one of the things I learned in the trial is this. It's a time when you need to really look for wisdom from God. I mean, it's a time when you, like I said, you don't have an answer. You just have struggle. You have pain. You have, you have a, an obstacle. Everything's going good, and then you get a call, and you're out of work. And you've been living now up on your paychecks right up to the time. And now you're, now you're stuck. Now you have to figure out how we're going to get through this. And, of course, the, the wife is always going to say to the husband, what are we going to do? And the husband's going to say to the wife, it's okay. It's all going to work out. And the wife's going to say to the husband, how is it going to work out? And the husband says, well, I don't know how it's going to work out, but it'll work out. And this goes back and forth for a while if, you're, if you've experienced that. And the truth is, if you hang in there with Jesus, it does work out. For example, um, I was thinking about an illustration. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to put you into a, an automobile on this beautiful day. You're coming down a country road. You're out leaf peeping. And as you're coming down the road, it's coming down a hill on a curve coming down. As you come around that curve, you see a car has swerved into your lane. They've been looking at leaves too. And another car is close behind them. You have no place to go. So you try to avoid the crash and you turn right and now you're off the road and now you're on a steep hill going down at, at maybe at about 30 degree angle. You're going down that hill. The car's bumping. The car's bouncing up into the air. You're yelling, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Right? And finally, you get to the point where it looks like it's not going to stop. You just close your eyes and say, Jesus, help me. And suddenly something happens and you realize the car's changing its direction. And finally, it's changing its speed. And now you're headed up a hill and you find yourself right on the side of the road. You have just taken a shortcut on that road over to the, around the turn. And there you are, right on the side of the road, right next to the blacktop, the macadam. Now let me tell you something. 
if you knew how that ride was going to end, you would have enjoyed it. You could have enjoyed it. In other words, it's got like going on one of these, you, you could have enjoyed it, literally, you know? And uh, what I'm saying to you is this, trials will come, but it's how we go through them that proves our faith and increases our endurance. So now I want to talk to you about something in the Bible. There's warnings in the Bible. I don't know how many of you uh, have recognized that. I'm sure you all have. But we have several warnings. The book of Hebrews, for example, has five warnings in it. They're all written to Christians. And the book of Hebrews primarily to Jewish Christians at that time. But here's these five warnings. But there's more than five warnings in Hebrews. There's other warnings. Jesus gave some warnings about bearing fruit. Uh, and now the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to read this in the uh, NLT again. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Okay. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized. Actually, if you look at your New King James and you look at the New American Standard, it correctly says you were baptized into, into uh, Moses. They were baptized into Moses. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. I want to stop for a moment there. Baptized into Moses. I want you to think about this. The word baptized, baptismo, in the Greek, means to immerse. It's a word that comes from dyeing, dyeing a garment. They used to dye these garments red, and they would take it, and they would baptismo the garment. Take the cloth that was a natural color, and then dye it red. So when we baptize, we immerse in. Now, what were they immersed in? And they were immersed in Moses. What does that mean exactly? Were they saved through Moses? No. They were baptized into his vision for the time. In other words, the, the people of God were called out of Egypt, and they were called to go in and bring judgment in this promised land. That's what they were doing. So God called them out, and you might say they all went through this experience but the purpose of that experience now was to carry out God's purpose. Do you understand that? It's a, it's, Moses is not God or anything like that, but now they're, they're going to carry out God's purpose. And I have come to see that from generation to generation, and even in my lifetime, from uh, the 60s on up, that God has always had a purpose for his people. The more I study, the more I find out. So there's a purpose for you, for this generation, for the, the, your, wherever your generation is right now, you're not just there waiting to get to the next age, to get your license, to do this, to do that. Yeah, you can't wait to do this. Listen, there's a purpose for where you are right now. And there's a purpose for the people of God now. And I mean, I'm going to tell you one thing. We're going to have to be radical and we're going to have to stand up as a, as a radical people, shall I say, counter-culture uh, against this wokeness 
this anti-God spirit that is, is in our culture today. So anyway, here they are. They're baptized into Moses. They all ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. That's right. Christ was with them. If you want to, Yahweh is uh, literally is Christ, and we have, it's, it's kind of confusing, but that's the way it is. So, now what happens is they're baptized into Christ, and yet God was not pleased with them, with most of them. It wasn't that he was displeased with everybody, but he took a look at his people. He looks at us individually. He doesn't look at us as a monolithic group of people, but at us individually. And he looked at us, looked at them, and he said, okay, most of them, uh, I'm not pleased. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These are the people that were called by God to come out, to carry out his will, and to destroy the evil that was in, this, in the promised land, those people. And now you find that the very people that God calls out to carry out his will, they wind up falling short. And they fall dead. And these things, he says, happened as a warning to us. So that we would not crave evil things as they did. Or worship Idols, as some of them did. As the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and when they were destroyed by the angel of death. Now these things happened to them as, well, what? Examples. For what? For us. So when we look at something like this and we realize that Paul's writing to us as believers, that there's something we ought to watch out for. And notice this. They came out of Egypt like we all did. The only thing is they brought Egypt with them into the congregation. They actually brought Egypt with them. They brought their gods along with them. They brought all of the strange things that they did with them. And they tried to participate in all. In other words, they tried to live like the pagan world as God's people. And it didn't work out, did it? Not at all. So as we look at this, we find out that they were all grumbling too. That was another thing. So these things happen as that example to us. Now, if you think you're standing strong, he gives a warning. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And then he goes on, and I'm going to get to verse 13 in a moment. We, we all have a, a, a view of Christianity, of what's required of us. And we tend to judge ourselves sometimes by looking at others. But the only measure that we should have for judgment is Christ himself. That's what we have to look at. It has to be Jesus Christ himself. That's the, that's the person we want to model. God intended us to model him. Now, a warning. When you have a warning... Something about a warning that is very interesting is that 
if there's a warning given, like for example, the bridge is out down the road, the water took it out, the river flooded, took out the bridge. And I say to you, the bridge is out. What do you do? Run up there with your vehicle and run off in, over the bridge or into the water? No, the warning is given so that you take that warning and you avoid what others had fallen into. So whenever a warning's given, then God is giving us a warning for a reason, and he wants us to be able to move in that warning. Now, I'll say this. Verse 13, the temptations of your life are no different from others' experience. And God's faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And that's a promise from God. That whatever we get into, whatever's happening, there is a way of walking away from it. But it requires some other interesting things which we're not going to talk about today. Like I said, they came out of Egypt but the, the gods of Egypt and their abominations with them. So what I want to talk to you about today, this is the main message, is the Lord's rest. And it's in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, this is New American Standard, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in our heart, in their heart, and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But, every, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And he's telling them, in a, in a, if I could round it up another way, put it this way, what he's saying to them is, look, there's a rest that I have prepared for you. <clears throat> and you can, you can trust me in this. But if you want to keep going your way, you're not going to enter that. I'm not pleased with you. What God has a plan for us. So what happened? We talked about all those people that died, all of these people that didn't. Well, why not? Because God has a people that he is calling, and even today, calling out today to follow him fully. Christianity is not a play religion. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing, a real life of experience with the living God and with one another. And it's a blessing. It's, it's, not, a, it's not work. It's, it's, yeah, there's an effort in it, but there's, it's a blessing to follow God and enjoy his presence and enjoy one another in that situation. So, again, he goes on to say this, for if we have become partakers of Christ... If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him? Once again, he goes to it. It was they that heard. Indeed, did they not all come out of Egypt led by Moses? 
And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear in his wrath that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? Now, here's the, the crux of what we want to say as found in Hebrews. He says, therefore, now I'm going to assume to you today that many of you have entered into the Lord's rest. And some of you might not know what that is, but we'll, we'll try to straighten it out for you here. But probably there are those who have not. And the thing is, here's what he says to them. Let us fear while the promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of us may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. I, I want to say this about the word and about studying and growing up in Christ. Remember this, that God has a purpose for his word to work in you to grow you and to work out of you the things that need to be worked out of you. And so that's a process. But see, here's the thing. No matter what a process may be, only you personally can decide whether you're going to obey God or not obey him. It, it's, I can't make you obey God. And religious people have tried to do that for centuries. It hasn't worked. It's just wound up with legalism and pain and abuses and so many other things. So again, he says this, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter that rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again in the message, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly had good news preached to them and failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying, through David, after the long, long time, just as it has been said before, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would have not spoken of, of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who enters his rest has himself rested from his works as God did from his. And I want to uh, add to this here just a, a bit to comment on this. You know... Um, Some people think that this is a six-day rest or something, a seven-day rest. I want to just say to you, it's a Sabbath rest. What is a Sabbath rest? What did God do on the, sixth, on the seventh day? He rested. What does it mean he rested? He ceased his work. And what did he cease from? All that you are enjoying today. All of this beautiful leaves out there and the, the trees, the nature, the resources that are in our ground, the blessings that we have in, in every area of our life have been already covered. They're done. All man had to do was enjoy God and enjoy them. 
Now, what happens here is this. They didn't do that. They, they, they didn't rest in what God's provision was. They didn't trust in God. It's like that trial thing that we spoke about in the beginning. When you go through that trial, you either are trusting God or you are on your own trying to figure it out and work it out by yourself. That's why he says ask for wisdom and you can get it. It's the same thing with the Lord's rest. And he says here in verse 11, therefore let us be diligent. We need to make an effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall short following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far a division of soul and spirit of both joys and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, there's no place we can hide from God. There's no place you can go where you think you have a private place in your life and, well, I'm going to go here. This is just, just mine. No, God's with you there too. He, he owns us. And he purchased us. He redeemed us. That's what it means. He purchased us with his own precious blood, with his life. But he purchased us for a reason. Why do you buy food? You go out to the store and you purchase food. Well, what do you, what'd you purchase it for? To eat it. You, you buy an automobile. Why did you buy an automobile? So that you can drive it. Well, God purchased you to know him and love him and to carry out his work in this earth and to make it difficult for anyone to go to hell that runs into you. I'll put it to you another way. So we have a, a role to fulfill. And again, there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to his eyes of him who, whom we have to do. It's an amazing thing, though, that we, in our Christian life, uh, I don't know, we, we kind of just relax in it. And I, I, I think that's okay in some respects. But I think sometimes we forget that we're here for his purpose. We're here, if, it, if we're a woman or a man, if we're a husband or a wife, we're here to help build up one another. You can read about it in Ephesians chapter 5. We, we're here to wash each other with the water of the word. And the Lord says that for men. If I look at what it says in Ephesians 4, then it, it applies to both male and female. It's a, it's a metaphor. So what I'm saying to you is that we have a, an, a, an obligation to move forward in our walk with Christ. And not to just hang in there, but to grow and find our purpose in life, or our key ministry gift, if you will, and to apply it, to grow in it, to encourage others to do the same. We are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is created that it would fill all in all. In other words, it would be Christ in the world. That's simple. And if you think of it that way, that we are his body which fills all in all, Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, you figure out now that when we talk about seeing every man complete in Christ and making every effort, that's exactly what God has called us to be as the body of Christ. His person in the world bringing him to others. 
Can you say amen to that this morning?